Welcome to Minority Corner with an Eke and James, the, the Wonder, Wonder Twins, Twins of podcasting. podcasting. Learn, laugh, play. It's like Blue's Clues, only it's more black, queer, and ladylike. Minority Corner episode 169, and today, stepping into the guest co-host chair, we have Samantha Nazezi from the Masculinity Podcast joining in, and we have so much to talk about uh, this week. Everything from that governor, remember that governor with the black face? Well, we thought he was bad, his wife is doing some racist shit as well. And we also want to talk about Jesse Smollett. We have some things to discuss in that regard. And Green Book. We both saw Green... Well, I saw Green Book. Samantha did not see Green Book, so we'll have a little conversation about that. It apparently won some Oscars, so we'll unpack that. Also, some documentaries that are coming out. Finding Neverland. Is this the end to Michael Jackson? This documentary that's coming out as we talk about cancel culture. And uh, R. Kelly was canceled. Will the same thing happen with Michael Jackson? We don't know. But in my corner, we're going to talk about Miss Hattie McDonald. Daniels, the Oscar winner, the first uh, black Oscar recipient, and she was very provocative in her day and to this day as well. And so we're going to unpack that, the history of how do you think you know, but you have no idea. This is her diary, y'all. And also, Samantha is going to be unpacking masculinity because that's what she does on her podcast. So we're going to do that a little bit as well here. And it's going to take us through all kinds of conversations uh, from what it takes to what does it mean to be a man in this culture? What does it even mean? Uh, Shane, Trump, you name it, we're going in it. So, here we go, episode 169, Aneke, we love you, we miss you, let's get into it. Welcome to the corner, Samantha. Thank you, James. This has been a long time coming. Yeah. We've been talking about getting you on the show for a good while. Yeah. So welcome. How does it feel? Thank you. It feels great. It feels great. Dream come true? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, You and I both, we we have history. Yeah. We went to UC Santa Cruz together. I know. And uh, now we're in New York, living our best lives. Yeah. Trying to find the work-life balance. Yeah. Were you just saying that just like right now you're like trying to, how do I balance it all? Mm Mm-hmm. Instead of being a busybody, like trying to like achieve too much, really taking the time to like, you know, love myself and love the people okay. in my life. Yeah. Give, some, give some time, give some, some depth, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think like you and I are both, uh, high achievers. So sometimes it's like the to-do list gets very, you know, long and it's finding those reminders that, you know, you're a human being, not a human doing. Perfect. That's so perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, well, welcome to the show. Uh, Do you want to just give a quick blurb to listeners, like... Who you are, what you do. I'm like, who what, am I? Yeah. What do I do? Oh, yeah. We dig deep here at Minority Corner real fast. Like, um, well, my name is Samantha Zessi, and um, I am originally from France, and I grew up in California. Oh. Yep. My family is Cameroonian. Okay. Uh, my favorite color so is French. gray, green. Oh, wow. We're going... I know. <laughs> What's your star sign? What's your sign? <laughs> Pisces all the way. Oh, we're both um, water signs. Yeah. This is about to get real emotional oh, today. It, it could it could get ready um no well so a little bit about me is that uh i'm a fellow po- podcaster and i like to talk about masculinity and Ooh. gender equity okay. and how we can get men involved in the conversation for gender equity and yeah. so that's kind of what i'm all about these days well we'll put a pin on that because it's your, it's your expertise and we're gonna have you on the show talking about that a little bit later um but let's get to like the gossip of the week we're just like i don't know let's just get into the good good um we were talking offline so a few weeks ago we were talking about uh there's that governor uh, i forget his name i'll look it up uh but i've been blocking names out for a minute so uh, i gov- just know what the bullshit governor ralph northam sorry it's coming I mean, back at you of course i uh, well just when you thought he was bad right and he was the guy who was like oh that wasn't me in that photo doing blackface because when i did blackface it was for michael jackson uh for michael jackson lookalike part contest and then he was like, and then the, I love it because like the, uh, reporter was like, can you still do the moonwalk? And he was literally about ah! to moonwalk and his wife leans over and she's like, inappropriate. <laughs> so, I remember 
that yeah. actually. So like, fast forward hurrah. to today, uh, recently. So uh, you thought like everyone's like, oh, at least the wife's not crazy. Wrong. Um, what the fuck was that? It's yeah. <sighs> so Pam Northam, uh, she so apparently so she's like a former uh, middle school teacher, and she was showing students the governor's mansion, which was a former like most things in the south. If it was, it's pretty, it's big, and it's a mansion. It probably was a. Plantation. Plantation. There we go. There it is. Yeah. And who built it? Black people. Slaves. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so she was giving a tour, and then she said she was like, pretty much, she was like, now imagine, imagine if you were a slave and having to pick cotton. And then she picked the two student, two black students who were there on the tour, and she handed them them cotton, specifically just them. It's like imagine if my foot went square into your fucking face. And you could do that too. Imagine that, Pam Northam. <sighs> so. There's a lot of so then everyone's like, "What the fuck, Pam? What? Why did that happen?" And her whole entire thing is that she wants to make sure that people are understanding the history of that it was a plantation. Because I once went to when I was, <laughs> I once went to like a lot of times there's there easy racer on a lot of these big ass mansions where I was on a tour once and I. They kept talking, talking, talk, saying it was the Mason House, the Mason House, the Mason House. And then eventually on the tour, they were like, and this is the slaves was down over here. Now, over here, you can see, and they just kind of glossed over it. And the slave quarters were like torn down. And we were like, we want to see the slave quarters. So we're like, oh, those got torn down in the 60s, but we're trying to get them revived. So on the one end, I do appreciate that she's trying to like not gloss. For her, she's pretty much saying that like uh, she's, she's worked very hard over the uh, past years to tell the full story of the executive ma- mansion. And that's been like her whole entire thing (laughs) so but why did you hand the two black students the cotton and say imagine because she's racist oh that's i don't know it's just like i don't know i I have i think that one of the things that we're doing these days that pisses me off on the daily Mm. is that we try to act like we give a fuck about facts we don't Mm. We don't. Yeah. Well, we have chosen the way that we're aligning ourselves. I mean, some of us do. Well, no. I yeah. I mean, yeah. Like yes. Well, like how Rudy Giuliani said, "Truth isn't truth." Like that's what he and like. What does that now mean? Which reality of the Matrix am I now living in? I mean, that might be the only thing that Rudy Giuliani has ever said that I probably agree with. Because it's he's like saying it in a sense that truth isn't truth, and that like he can create whatever reality that it is. That like when someone's like saying like these are the facts, and then he says, "But truth isn't truth," but that's because he's just trying to spin everything into like his narrative. Yeah. Well, I guess. I don't necessarily agree with him on doing that, but I agree that that's what's being done. I mean, I agree that, like, as much as we're talking about, I mean, I'm veering off a little bit here, but just Veer like... Veer away. Well, this is the corner, baby. That's how we do. Good, good. We, I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, when we're talking about things these days, it's all about... <sighs> sensationalism. Yeah, yeah. You know, it has a lot less to do with any type of, like, I don't know like factual understanding of anything yeah because we don't give a shit. we don't care we're like mm. in our capitalist bubble we don't give a shit but is it that people don't really give a shit or is that like we're not fed it and i think it's also hard because if you don't have journalists doing their actual jobs then mm-hmm. we don't get truth which actually is a great segue into the whole entire jesse smollett situation where things were so quick to be reported that I feel like back in the day when there was actual journalism, um, that people would investigate things before putting out all the information. Mm-hmm. And it is a hard situation cause it's so such a hot button. Like, Oh my God, it was a, a racist and homophobic thing. MAGA country. Uh, it's so hot button. Everybody wants to be on the first in the scoop. Um, but then the danger side of that is when journalists don't actually do their jobs. But I mean, that's hard because like, do you, sit on a story like you hear these this you hear what seems to be the facts and you report on them um but then as you dig into things maybe that's when things get found out so it's hard it is hard i think we just kind of also have, maybe just have to be okay with that like things are ever evolving right so yeah. information and things are always like ever evolving the jesse smollett uh, situation, you know, uh, we've not talked about it since the revelations have happened. When we first talked about it on the podcast, we were like, oh my God, this horrific thing has happened to a gay black man. It was like an attempted lynching. And then we come to find out that allegedly, we still don't know, and everyone is due their day in court. Uh, he might be guilty in the court of public opinion, but I believe in everyone's fair right to a fair trial. And here in the United States, you are innocent until proven guilty. And I say that because, and 
remind us all of that because you never know what might happen to any of us where we might be in a situation where we know that we are actually innocent and we would be so grateful that we do have uh, due process and innocence till proven guilty, you know? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that because I think like to your point about the the fact that we're not being kind of like fed the correct information or like truthful, like yeah. factual information, you know, the fact that there's been so much buzz and talk about an open investigation by Chicago PD. Mm. It's just funny that everybody all of a sudden trusts Chicago PD. I'm like, yo, like, yeah, they convicted R. Kelly five seconds ago. Probably so that they could have some credibility because of the Jesse Smollett situation. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, yeah, but... But I mean, I think that one of the things that I'm having a hard time with is just the way that... First of all, when the first when they first came out, I was like, I'm sorry, are you having trouble believing that like hate crimes happen in this country? Right. Well, that's like... It took me a long time to understand what the debate was that there was a hoax. And I, yeah. I... But I guess people were looking at... It seems like there was a lot of people who were so quick to be like, it's a hoax. And that made me a little uncomfortable, like yeah. how quick everybody was. And then like, you know, I feel like this Good Morning America interview with Robin, what's her face, became sort of a Rorschach test that like you saw whatever it is that you wanted to see. And I think that happens a lot of times, like even in the, um, you know, Michael Cohen uh, testimony that if you're a hardcore Trump supporter, you just think that he's a liar. And if you are not a Trump supporter, you're like, ooh, boom, smoking gun, victory dance. Mm-mm. And so I guess it is sometimes we just see what it is that we want to see. And. Yeah, and I really do Which think goes back to like is what is truth. What is wow, truth? Wow, we're having a philosophical. <laughs> we've never been this philosophical on Minority Corner. We've gotten like deep. Can we make some more fart jokes for a second? <laughs> beep, beep. I'm gonna make oh some more sound God. effects. Things that's so serious. But yeah, what is truth? Well, it's kind of, like again, it's like we we choose to align ourselves a particular way, and then we look for, we look for facts to back our shit up mm. rather than actually like looking. At objectively at facts and mm-hmm. then then and then drawing to then coming to a conclusion yeah um and i feel like i hate the fact that because i mean earlier i said like we don't care whatever i'm not saying i don't care i'm not saying people in general don't care i just think that like the american fabric right now is so polarized sure. and it has more to do with like which side you're on than <clears throat> You know, so then, which, yeah, and I absolutely totally agree. And so I think we have to be willing to have sit down with other people that have different viewpoints than us and be able to have conversations and be able to, we don't always have to agree, but there has to be like a sort of common, finding more common footing and more, um, yeah, more common footing and just being able to have like a sense of like love and respect because we're literally tearing each other apart. Yeah. And we're so quick to be so reactionary because we're constantly just getting bombarded with so much information mm-hmm. and we're getting triggered and triggered and triggered faster and faster and faster. And which Russian trolls are like taking advantage of this where they're having us fight even about The Last Jedi where it turned out that, you know, 50% of the tweets were from Russian trolls, you know, oh, just getting us to fight about everything. Yeah. Um, but something that we're not probably all fighting about is that R. Kelly got arrested finally. Woo! That only took how many, like, years? Decades. Decades. Why? I, I guess, like, I, this is a stupid question. I already know the answer to it. Why do you think it took so long for R. Kelly to get arrested? To be honest, I'm not sure that if this Jesse situation was happening, oh. that he would have he would have gotten arrested. I was thinking, like, I do you feel like the documentary had anything to do with oh, it? Oh, a hundred percent. Because I think that when people really saw, first of all, you can't <coughs> like Jim Rogatis has been writing about R. Kelly for years, like oh, yeah. since the 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 Aaliyah <coughs> marriage. Really, that's like decades old. And is it kind of uncomfortable because it's been kind of like a running joke that we all knew? that like R. Kelly like you know pees on underage girls and like (laughs) has a cult and like you know like we've we've all kind of like laughed and giggled at it for so long and it's been in plain view and plain sight it's awful and now we're finally at a space where it's like yes let's you know after the documentary first of all I think because you know these were black women that you know people kind of cared not as much about 
Yeah. If it was R. Kelly, like kidnapping and raping a bunch of white women, this would have been stopped. He would have been stoned to death. The moment it happened, it would have been done. That never even would have. So then the documentary came out. I and then I. Yeah, maybe the Jesse Smollett thing triggered that the Chicago PD is like, well, we got to do something. And he's like, but he wishes that he was like in Iowa or something. Um but then, so there's that. And so I, you know, I've talked about in the podcast, I'm not like the hugest like R. Kelly fan. So me being like cancel R. Kelly doesn't really hurt. But there's another documentary that's coming out, HBO Films. OMG. Finding Neverland, which interviews Wade, Rob- Wade Robson, which Wade Robson, do you know the story about Wade Robson? I didn't actually know. No. You don't know who Wade Robson is? Let I mean, me I t- do know who he is, but I didn't know about the Michael Jackson thing. He used to host that show on MTV. The Wade Robson Project. Yes. The one by his name. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he was like that the one. he was like the choreographer in two thousand one. He was he choreographed Slave for You. He choreographed like uh Instinct's Dirty Pop, like all that time. Britney, Justin, and Wade were like bestest of friends. Allegedly, rumor has it like the reason why like they split up was because Britney had she slept with Wade and then that's oh. yeah. Yeah. Mm. So there's a lot of yeah. Yeah. Okay, a little shade. A little shade there. Okay. Uh, so, but Wade Robson and then some other guy, are, and his family are featured in this documentary, uh, Finding Neverland, uh, which is supposed to be like, I think it premiered at Sundance. HBO bought it up, and it's like a two-part series. It's coming out, and it's apparently just going to revelations about like that Michael Jackson was allegedly like molesting and abusing these children, getting them away from their families, uh, paying off their families. Uh, and it's just a lot of, yeah, I don't know. I'm scared to watch it. I, it's one of those things that like, like nothing is sacred anymore. Cosby show done. I, you know, just like so many can't watch a Kevin Spacey movie anymore. And I, I love house of cards. I loved usual suspect. Gone. No more. Oh my God. Cause I can't I separate the art from the artist. Me neither. And well, in some cases I can, but in this case I can't name a case where you can separate the art from the artist. Um, Curious. Some of these rappers are out of line, but I still be listening to okay, them. Okay, all right. Like J. Cole like has 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 made a few homophobic like mm. things. A lot of rappers in general have yeah. made some homophobic comments and I'd be like I, I mean, I can't stand that you said that, yeah, but like, yeah, I'll yeah. still kind of listen a little bit. So well, me with, I've like, slowed down with J. Cole and it's sad, but oh. true. Yeah. Is blessed. I, and that's the person that like, I would cancel him, but I'm like, I don't listen to his music. So okay. it's easier for me to cancel him. Whereas like, I'm so curious to see what's going to happen after this documentary airs. Are people going to be willing to cancel Michael Jackson? That, oh, no, that's like canceling. Like, it's a hard thing to cancel because he's so much of the fabric of pop culture. And like, you hear his songs on weddings like it's just such a classic iconic it's he's classic he's like an elvis which even elvis is problematic because he stole his music from black people but we still play his music yeah um i mean i feel like a little bit about the way that r kelly like for me r kelly was hard to cancel yeah oh really i love r kelly's okay. music wow. i grew up listening to r kelly's yeah. music it was yeah it was a tough it was one hard. But, you, it was hard. but you're doing it yeah i'm doing you're it, doing I, and it. I've, I've, yeah i've, I've been were, doing it you've been yeah yeah i found myself like humming some shit the other okay. day i was like oh my god yeah yeah no, <laughs> i canceled justin timberlake that was a tough one for me uh just janet <gasps> oh, jackson nipple gate yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and also just his appropriation of black music and not really being there for black people i but like this this michael jackson one i think is good i think what's also hard is like well so his family went on Good Morning America and they were like this is bullshit this is bogus and it's also hard because Michael Jackson's no longer here to like defend himself yeah um and also like I do believe that Michael Jackson himself I watched this documentary a long time ago that he himself is a victim of child abuse um sexual child abuse um there was a psychiatrist who was saying that sometimes people who are victims of certain child abuse will try to change things about their outward appearance Mm -hmm. um so like you know he's constantly having plastic surgeries to trying to find outlets to change that thing mm. that was and I'm sure I mean the music industry in Hollywood all of it's so predatory as it is and that's why he was probably just so stinted and not saying and if he did you know do this behavior it was well that would make sense because again not co-signer corroborating on it but just saying this is probably why it happened um because it had happened to him and his childhood was sort of robbed and maybe doing the same things that were being done to him mm-hmm 
Uh, it's it's just, a common pattern. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really unfortunate. And and more by, by a terrible person from avoiding the documentary, because I don't I want to still be able to listen to Billy Jean. <sighs> I don't I don't know, because the the problem with this is like I can't I can't say for sure that once I watch this documentary, I'm going to stop listening to PYT. I'm going to stop listening to Rock With You like I'm like these are like some of my favorite songs. But I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I mean, once I start, once I do with the R. Kelly thing, I didn't think I was going to be able to stop listening to R. Kelly to either. And then and there it was. Look at me today. You know She's what I mean? Gone. R. Kelly out of here. Yeah. Um, speaking of, Billie Jean is a very odd song. When you look at the lyrics, like it's so confusing, right? Uh, I had to pull it up because I was I was in Miami this past weekend <laughs> and we were talking about it and it's like this is weird. I so Billy, who the fuck is Billie Jean? Because Billie Jean, she's not my lover, so she's just a girl. But she says that I. Am I'm the one, but the kid is not my son. You so lying, she, Michael. But wait, does she go up to him? I'm trying to picture, like, how does this happen? Does she go up to Michael and she's like, you're the one, but this kid, this kid is not your son. Like, what? Like, I'm, con- it's very confusing. Like, it is but confusing. who is she? She's just a girl. She says that I'm the one, but that kid, that kid is not your son, Michael. Like, it's like an episode of Mari Povich. It is an episode of Mari Povich. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, somebody's lying. We just got to figure out. Who. We got to. We still never figured out who Billie Jean was or who even the kid was. And uh, there it is. Well, yeah. only time will tell uh, who either of these people are. But with all that, why don't we go ahead and kick it into the main event? You know, the Oscars just happened. <laughs> and uh, I just want to celebrate or not celebrate. Yeah, I am going to say celebrate a very controversial figure. One of the first black folks to win an Oscar, Hattie McDaniel. Welcome back and thank you, Dan, for that scathing report. As you know, Max Fun Drive is coming up March 18th to March 29th, which has some folks pretty excited. But as families around the world get ready to celebrate this season of giving, community, and quality podcasts, some are wondering if it's just too much. Are they, though? They are. Some people are all for comedy and culture, but with 45 shows offering hundreds of hours of bonus content, plus all the Max Fun meetups taking place around the world, some people think it's too much. While other people think it sounds totally awesome. I took my granddaughter to the mall to get her picture taken, and the mall pod fairy was short. And I, you know, I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry, but everyone knows the pod fairy is tall. Well, I think we should just leave it there. <laughs> Until next time, here's the news you need to know. Max Fun Drive runs from March 18th through 29th. Be sure to listen to all of your favorite podcasts. I know I will. So what you know about Miss Hattie McDaniel? I'm embarrassed that I don't know much. And I figured I I'll say him until I did the research on this because I had I was like I feel like everybody thinks they know, but we don't. Right. We know that she won the Oscar, but we don't really know much of else of what she did. Mm. And so I wanted to like the Oscars just happen, and I wanted to just sort of you know pay. Homage, as the kids say, is the French kids say. That's correct. Do you you speak French as well? I do. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Go ahead. Ah, uh, there's so many questions I want to ask you about that, but maybe later. Um, so in honor of the Oscars, I just want to talk a little bit about her. And you know, she's a history of being a controversial black person. Uh, I wouldn't say like Bill Cosby or Jesse Smollett or R. Kelly, but she has her controversies. That it happens sometimes when you're black. You controversial Because sometimes just like By the mere Like showing up And being black You're gotta be controversial And can we just talk about Like the You can't be It's like Being black is Like gotta be controversial No matter what Because Mm -hmm. either You're you're not gonna You're gonna be too something For someone Or not enough For something else And it's the It's rough it's a tongue of weave. Well, she was born in 1835 or 1895. I have conflicting reports. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, I think someone just didn't do their math. We're just like subtract from 60 years. <laughs> when she died. Just subtract like we know how old she was when she died. Yeah. And then just subtract that. I guess I could have done that as well. But anyways, I digress. So she was born to two former slaves. Mm. Like that's, you know, again, I mean, I guess, yeah. a stone's throw away at just how close slavery was. She was born to two former slaves. Um, her father also fought in the Civil War uh, as a, in a Union soldier, as a Union soldier. 
Uh, she grew up in poverty and she followed her brothers and sisters onto the stage. So she, her brothers and sisters were also actors. Oh. Yeah. One of them died and he had like a uh, minstrel show that like, cause that was the thing to do. <laughs> Your eyes just went bink. <laughs> It was the thing to do back then. Uh, she was in when the Roaring Twenties. She toured in a vaudeville show and a minstrel show, but she would poke fun at st- stereotypes uh, okay. by performing whiteface. Yeah. Okay. Reverse okay. it. Reverse yeah. cowgirl that. Uh, yeah. And she was also a comedian. She was also a recording artist, a singer. Like she was just doing a lot. And she was actually in over probably about over three hundred movies. Uh, but she only got That's credit a lot for of about, movies. Yeah. She only got credit for about like 80 of them. Oh, uh, she was oh. also a, so she was a singer, but she was the first black woman to sing on the radio. Yeah. Look at these oh little accolades. God. I know. In 1931, she moved to La La Land, Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, she had a, she had a show, a radio show called Hi Hattie. And it was a maid who forgets her place. So she already was just kind of sewing the oats, the, like the, again, this is the times. Look at this from a, hold, <laughs> a, a oh classical piece. Uh, but she's always was already like sewing the, uh, I don't know, sewing the seeds, sewing the plants for putting down the roots for what she did was always she was being like a sassy sort of like maid so she was kind of always like pushing back so early roots of that for herself i uh, she was so she was quite the actress so she uh in 1934 she joined uh screen actors guild and she was doing movies with like everyone who was everyone at the time like she did movies like Shirley Temple Will Rogers Henry Fonda Clark Gable her and Clark Gable were like really really close friends mm-hmm. uh if they were like an old white actor back then she did a movie with them I think she did films with like Ronald Reagan like all kinds of people mostly playing like the black maid I she was in showboat and some actors at the time refused to play those roles. Mm. But if they did that, they just didn't work. Yep. And she was like, I'm going to work. Yeah. You had such few roles at the time. And uh, she was. I'm having feelings about Steve Harvey right now. Let's keep moving. I'm sorry. Oh, OK. <laughs> what? Wait, no. What's that? What about Steve Harvey? Did you hear about him and Monique? They had a sit down interview recently. So they have a sit down interview where he essentially, first of all, he's being like wild condescending toward her. Mm. But then he basically tells her like that sometimes you have to choose the check over integrity. Oh, and that is in 2019. Wow. So which is you got to like, dance. You got to dance for that money, girl. It's just, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. And I mean, Steve Harvey, kind of, I mean, you know what? Steve Harvey has gone his journey. I'm not going to yuck his yum and his journey, but he does need to yuck someone else's journey as well. Right. That Like he's chosen to shuck and jive on like the family feud and. You know, and, and it's I also watch it, whatever. And but, it's great you know. representation. I'm grateful to have him as a black host, but you can't fault someone else for not taking the same exact pathway as you. Yeah. Funny you should mention Monique because she, when she won Best Supporting Actress, which is for Precious, which mm-hmm. she won the same award that Hattie McDaniel's wore, she wore the same exact outfit and like an again, it's coming back up. Homage. <laughs> what if I'm just <laughs> using the like French words I know because you're here? <laughs> Not mad. I love it. You sound great. <laughs> You're like, oh my god! I didn't know this podcast was bi- bilingual. <laughs> uh, but she wore like a very. She wore like the same like clippings in her hair, and she thanked Hattie wow. McDaniel for when she won. Which then sparked interest in Hattie McDaniel all oh, over again. Okay. And I'll tell you why later. But I might forget. Try to remind me. I'll remind me. you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, but Hattie apparently was like a game changer on set. So maybe she wasn't doing all this revolutionary stuff because she was accepting these roles. But on set is kind of how she would change things. Uh, mm. Jill Watts wrote this book called Hattie McDaniel, Black Ambition, White Hollywood. Mm. And in it, she said that, you know, Hattie was an artist who was, uh, she described Hattie this way. She said, she's an artist who's been resisting white domination with performance. Up until she becomes involved in white show business, if you watch those performances, she's straightjacketed by the writing, but she's trying to move her way out of that. So... Though the lines would say one thing, the way that she would perform them, it was like she was rebelling and doing it a different way. She would give these sort of one-dimensional roles just some more flavor. They kind of would push back against 
their, you know, white masters or yeah. their, they weren't masters back then. But but tomato, tomato. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're paying them damn near nothing. I, so she actually didn't, she was a steen stealer. Like people in like, in, I forget which movie it was in, but one of the movies that she was in was someone who was famous. Oh, with Natalie Wood. I think it was Natalie Wood. She uh, was such a scene stealer in it that down in South Carolina, they fucking hated that movie because she was just stealing the scenes from little white Natalie Wood. How do you People like, oh, she's doing something interesting, you know? It's almost like people were hungry for some sort of authenticity or some sort of conversation around this one-dimensional character. Mm-hmm. So when black girl magic back in the day, even back then, and so when Gone with the Wind, which was based on um, some racist ass book of the same name, and when it was there was gonna be a when it was heard there was gonna be a film about it, there was a nationwide wide search to find out who would play the role of Mammy because they had to get the right one. And Hattie was like, "I'm probably not gonna get it because." I'm too, like, you know, sassy for that sort of role. Like, she's, you know, she didn't think she was going to get it. And, in fact, Eleanor Roosevelt, at the time, wrote a letter suggesting that her maid play the part. Oh, my God. She was like, my maid would be great for this role. Thank you, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Don't worry. Decades later, we'll get Michelle Obama. (laughs) It's, like, so funny. And then we'll get Melania Trump. (laughs) So I, this was, so it was a talk of the nation who would play the mammy and Bing Crosby suggested, again, she had, was friends with like everybody. Bing Crosby suggested, uh, to the producer, David O. Selznick, uh, that Hattie play the role and Hattie got it. And the NAACP denounced Gone with the Wind. They were like, don't make this movie. But if mm-hmm. you do, you need to like get rid of all these like racist ass words that are in it. Uh, they got rid of all the racist ass words except for one that you said blackie at some point. <laughs> Better than then just, you know, throwing around nigger all over the place. I mean, I'll take it. Yep. Honestly. It, it's a step in the right direction. This is the 1940s we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, so most of the things that they petitioned did end up happening in it. Like in the book, a bunch of black men attack Scarlett O'Hara, but a bunch of black men attack Scarlett O'Hara and the KKK steps in and acts as heroes. So they did not put that in the NAACP is like, don't, don't let this do that. Yeah. Good, good. So, I, so then uh, the movie. So she was actually banned from being able to attend the Atlanta premiere. Hattie. She was not allowed to. Put, put, oh, because it's the, South the South and she's black. <laughs> yeah. You're like, why? <laughs> South. Because of the South. Because it's in Georgia. Okay. And Clark Gable was like, that's fucked up. I'm not going to go. Because they were ride or dies. They were like best friends. Okay, like, Clark Gable. He was there for Shout her. Shout out to Ally. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. I, and Hattie was like, boo, go. Go to the film. Oh. And the author of the movie did so well. The author of Gone with the Wind, who she was there because she's white and she could go there. Um, she was like, girl, you should have been there. There was a mass applause. It was thunderous applause. They loved you. They loved it. Mm. She did get to attend the LA premiere. Woohoo. <laughs> you should have been there me if I would have been there if they had invited me if I could have shown up and then so fast forward to 1940 she was nominated at the 12th Academy Awards for a Best Supporting Actress she was 46 at the time now when you get to the Academy Awards she um, almost was not going to be able to attend because uh, the Ambassador Hotel was segregated Okay. And so uh, the producer, David O. Selznick, had to petition for her to be allowed into the Coconut Grove nightclub where it was being held. So she almost couldn't even attend that. And she was not allowed to sit at the same table as Vivian Lee, co-stars Vivian Lee and Clark Gable. She had to sit somewhere in the back with her date. And uh, when she won, she was like, she fucked the speech that, you know, this whitey wrote because she had a speech that was written. She was threw that out the window and she read the speech that she had uh, written, co-written with uh, Ruby Berkeley Goodwin, who was a prominent black writer at the time. Nice. Very great speech. Highly recommend. Take a look at it. But she does say um, there's one part I'll read. She says, it has made me feel very, very humble and I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. Oh, that's so classy. Classy, beautiful speech. Yeah. And at the time, the Oscar was just like a plaque for everybody, not just her. <laughs> Wasn't like, here's, <laughs> you here's the uh, Black Academy Award. No, it was, it was a plaque. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a plaque. <laughs> and um, 
But she was a polarizing figure because I, for her winning this award, it was almost like, you know, saying that blacks would only win roles, like, if you play this sort of part. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like fast forwarding to like, you know, when, like when Denzel Washington training day. wins for training day yeah. or he's playing, you know, a corrupt cop drug dealer guy. Yep. Meanwhile, for when he's playing Malcolm X or even the hurricane, he can't even, or fences. even in fences. Yeah. Like, I still, like, you should have got that. For fences. And the fact is, like, with fences, like, he... He had to produce that movie himself. Like, White Hollywood was not going to have that movie be made, you know? He had to get that made. And and meanwhile, that same year, you have... This is before Hashtag Me Too. Casey Affleck wins. Yeah. When he has sexual harassment charges against him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, like, if I sexually harass someone at work, I'm not winning an award from that. Like, I'm getting fired and all kinds of shit. Yeah. But anyways. I mean, yeah. Um, so she's been very sort of polarizing and remember it would also take nearly a quarter of a century, uh, before Oscar crowned another black actor with Sidney Poitier in 1963. So it's just these long, long gaps. And then you have, uh, uh, then you have Denzel Washington and Halle Berry. I think it was in 2001. And even then, Halle Berry winning for, you know... Is it Monsters Ball? And Monsters Ball, yeah. Mm-hmm. And even, yeah, so it's like the kind of awards and for what roles that yeah. we're able to win for. Oh, everybody talked to Sam. So Hattie McDaniels was a woman without a home because black audiences criticized her for perpetuating negative stereotypes and white filmmakers um, would only cast her as maids. That's the only roles that she was able to really get. And she did say, she's like, well, I'd rather play a maid than be one. Mm. Woo! Because she was like, because uh, during the depression, she was looking for work and she what did play an actual maid for a period of time before she her career got back up. And, uh, you know, she was able to make, you know, seven hundred dollars uh, a week for doing, you know, acting stuff, uh, playing a maid on a movie or she can win seven dollars a week as a maid. So it's like. Either way, she's going to have to put on this costume. Oh, my God. She's like, well, let me make the big bucks if I'm going to do it. She's like, almost like, I see your game. I see what it is. I'm going to cash in on it. So, uh, yeah, this is like the biggest role. And it's great. It's crazy because it's like when she's played so many roles, but this is the Mammy and Scarlett and uh, Scarlett O'Hara's Mammy in God with the Wind is the one that she's the most prominently known for. Mm -hmm. Um, She was also in Song of the South, which is the Disney movie we talked about here on the podcast. But it's a Disney movie that was put in the vault because it was so fucking racist with Uncle Remus. She's in it. Put in the vault. It's like it's a tough balance, I think, because it's like. Like, I get both sides of yeah, this it's argument. Like, Ooh, girl, you're getting work, but the work you're getting. Yeah. But it's hard when those are the only roles that are but really like, a lot. like, in the 1940s, like, what are you going to do? What else was she going to do? I like, know. not work? Acting is her passion. She loves telling stories. She's good at it. She's winning awards for it. Yeah. So, I get it. And it's a different time. Whereas, it's like, you know, me, myself, as an actor, there's certain roles I won't play. Like, I I played uh, in a Tennessee Williams play, uh, a very... I played a servant in um, Sweet Bird of Racist Youth. uh, Sweet Bird of Youth. And uh, this character had only like four lines. And, you know, to me, it's like if you're doing a show that is from a different time period and you're redoing it. Yeah. It's not enough just to remount it. You should be able to do more commentary with it, even in your staging. Mm -hmm. You can't necessarily write someone else new lines, but you can be more creative in it. And my director did not do that. And so I was like, never again. You know, Mm -hmm. like you can't just remount something and do it the way that they used to do it back then because times have changed. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So for myself, I'm like, I'm never going to play like, you know, one dimensional drug dealer or like, um, you know, servant or something like that. Unless there's something, something something there. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1947, she became the first black actor to star in her own American radio program, The Beulah Show. Oh, right. She replaced a white male actor. And um, but again, nothing goes with Hattie without a little controversy. So the army actually stopped playing it in Asia when they were over. What is this? The the Korean War. Uh, They stopped playing it in Asia because it showed black men as, you know, shifty and lazy. And it made them very hard for them to do their jobs out there. So the army was like, this show is too racist. Mm -hmm. We can't we don't want to perpetuate that because it's hard for them, for the black men in the army to uh, be respected. Yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
obviously right yeah. yeah 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 and it's yeah anyway so she also but uh so that you know was going down so again controversy but she also was living in uh she moved into west adams heights uh she was one of the first black people to move into this affluent rich neighborhood she had a house two-story house 17 bedrooms Word. she wasn't cleaning any of those bedrooms okay all right but and so a few other black actresses were also following suit as well mm-hmm. um actors and the neighborhood was like but what no like the laws say that they can't live here and technically the laws at the time did say they can't live there and again this is california la everybody always you wants to point out being in la and but, not being able to and, live there and everybody wants to point out how you know racist and segregated the south was but like it was everywhere yeah so a judge looked at the case and was like fuck this shit we need to get over it and so then it allowed for black folks to live in that neighborhood so it's like Hattie was doing it in her own way she was working from inside the system not making a whole lot of fuss because I get it she doesn't want to rock the boat she came from nothing she did it like in her own sort of way and so I think a lot of people were upset because she didn't she wasn't a huge sort of flag waver she didn't join the Negro Actors Guild until 1947 um and she sought out a white agent to represent her because she one of the few white agents who would work with black actors. She sought him out. It worked out good for her because she got a lot of work. Yeah. She avoided politics for her. She was like, that's not my space. That's, I'm not trying to get involved in that. She was like, the Beulah show is for everyone. And so people had just issues with that. Um, she did serve on the Negro Entertainment Committee. And because uh, during World War II, the army was segregated in World War II. And so she helped organize performances and shows for the troops. She would go over there. I think um, Bette Davis was the only white person to perform. Um, with for black people and World War II. Uh, but Lena Horne, she got all of them together, performed over there. So she also was like yeah. a patriot, like yeah. doing her civic duty. Yeah. Yeah. She was married several times. She had a false pregnancy that caused her to be really uh, depressed for oh. a period of time. Uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and died at 59 in 1952. She died at 59? Oh, damn. Young. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineteen fifty-nine. Okay, so definitely eighteen ninety-five. Oh, look at you doing the math. Yeah, because I was like, which wait. article is right? That's why I was saying. I was like, oh, all I had to do was subtract because both sources did say that she died yeah. uh, in in, in nineteen fifty-two. So I was like, oh, just do the math. I didn't do it. I'm not a mathematician. So wait, what did you? It's eighteen ninety-five. It must be eighteen. Well, whatever. Which one? Whichever one of the two is definitely not eighteen thirty something. Oh yeah, yeah. No, so okay. um, yeah, I might have just said that wrong. Um, but okay. Okay, so in her will, she had two requests. One, for her body to be buried in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, because that's where all prominent Hollywood actors were being buried, uh, like Rudolph Valentino. And, uh, beca- Fuck that fool. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but that was the go-to place at the time. If you were a Hollywood actor and you were dead, mm. that's where you went. <laughs> but, because, I you said that. but because of her race, uh, she was banned from that cemetery. <laughs> Yeah, she was not allowed. Which isn't that, isn't that how fucked up is that? Like even in death, dead. even in death, you can't be around black people. That's crazy. Wild. So she had to be near her second choice in the Angelus Rose, uh, Rose, Rosedale Cemetery. And James Cagney was the only white actor to attend uh, her funeral. Shout out. Which Clark Gable, if you to were... To James Cagney. If, I love him. Clark Gable, if you weren't dead, where were you? A lot of the white actors sent, like, flowers and stuff. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a funeral. You go to a funeral. I love James Cagney. That's, like, a great... Like, outside yeah. of... Yeah, I, 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 he's like, yeah. Is he Cagney and Lacey? Um, I don't know if I saw Cagney and Lacey, actually. Oh, okay. I don't know what the, the, the name of the movie that I saw that I was obsessed with. With James Cagney? Yeah. We'll check it out during the break. Yeah. I, so, oh, in 1989, the uh, forever Hollywood fancy cemetery got new ownership, and the guy was like, hey, you can be buried here now. But her family was like, we're not moving her body. Like, we're not. Thank you. But what they did do is they built a big-ass like monument in honor of her there. Oh. And it's highly visited. People go there all the Yes. time but if you go there no her that. body's not there yeah yeah still that's a nice that's a nice memento 
Uh, when she died, she only had about $10,000 in her name. Uh, $11,000 was apparently owed to the government. So the government was like, well, we need all this and we're going to take her estate and her and her award. Um, Excuse me. Took- her estate costs more than $1,000. Thank you. Yeah. Well, rude. Yeah. So they took. Uh, I know. <laughs> they took her estate. They took her uh, Oscar. And they took her. Oh, that's fucked up. Eventually, the Oscar, then they were like, oh, wait, it's not worth anything. So then they gave it back. So it's like it's pretty. Is it a plaque? It's a plaque. It's a fucking oh. plaque. Yeah. Oh my god. They're like, wait a minute. Okay. So then it got donated to I think Howard University. Oh. But to this day, no one knows where the Oscar is. It's mi- went missing, and so there's a lot of rumors about maybe what happened to the Oscars. Some people were saying that like, I think her oh, family got it. Mm, I like, they don't know. Not, so this yeah. woman, I forget her name. It's linked in the article. She did some digging, and because after. Um, what was her Monique said the speech about Hattie McDaniel it piqued interest in Hattie McDaniel's story and so this one uh, journalist was researching see that journalist doing research yeah. for a year she was doing research trying to trace and find out where it was because a lot of people were saying that like oh after Dr. King got assassinated they threw it into the Potomac River and she's like mm, that sounds like kind of like that's kind of a racist thing to say that like you know black people can't take care of their shit you know yeah and so what they think happened is that it like is in a box somewhere it just got like lost track and like the shuffling of that's what she thinks and she researched it for a year but that is uh, the story of Hattie McDaniels wow you think you know and you just really you know I feel like she's gotten to sort of a bad rap and I think it's just an opportunity just like you know what it was a different time Mm -hmm. I think she did the best that she could do and she has kicked down the doors for many black actors including myself yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I think uh, like that was really comprehensive and awesome because I think that even though I know that name, right, yeah. and I know that she's like an icon, I don't know if I really knew why. Yeah, I was just kind of like, yeah, Hattie McDaniel, of course, Hattie oh, McDaniel. Yeah. But oh, then yeah. I'm like, but what? Yeah, so that was helpful, and it definitely creates a very, very interesting context for like what's going on today. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was great. There you go, Hattie McDaniel's. Yeah. Doing it up. This is for you, Hattie. Ah, shout out to Hattie. Trailblazing. Have you ever watched a movie so bad you just needed to talk to somebody about it? Well, here at the Flop House, we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. We'll watch it and we'll talk it. We do the hard work. Featuring the beautiful vocal talents of Dan McCoy. Stuart Wellington. And me, America's rascal, Elliot Kalin. New episodes every other Saturday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast, dude. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sam's Corner, Sam's Corner, in your corner. <laughs> Samantha, I'm sorry, I always call you Sam because that's how I knew you from back in university. Yeah. With Tamra Tilo, shout out. I know, shout out to Tamra. Tam, 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 Bam. I know. Tam and Sam, <laughs> dynamic duo. She hates Tam. I like Sam later. Like, it took like, a while. Yeah, yeah. but now I'm, I feel I'm like you guys, I feel like you two should have really owned that Tam and Sam. <laughs> Sam and Tam, Sam, Tam. <laughs> Tam Tam. No. Uh, well, anyways, you have a podcast. I do. And on your podcast, you talk a lot about masculinity. Yes. Which I think is fascinating. Like, what has led you to wanting to have these conversations? Well, I mean, for me, what happened really is that the Brock Turner situation happened. And you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So for people who don't remember who Brock Turner is, he was the guy who was a swimmer at Stanford and he raped this this young woman who was passed out behind a dumpster. Um, and uh, the only reason why people like why like that was broken up was because two people were like found like found him a, passing by with their bikes anyway so that guy was sentenced to six months in jail then Mm. it got reduced to three months of a good behavior Mm. and and he's out of jail just like living his life now his parents separately wrote letters to the judge to appeal to like the judge's like sense of i don't know affluence Mm. i mean they were like tugging on his like compassion heartstrings but it was kind of like listen we don't want 10 minutes of 
of of alcoholic like lapse of judgment or something like that to ruin his whole life there was just no attention to the survivor of this attack like, so like i feel like the guys always get a boys will be boys sort of like yeah ass. it was just completely irresponsible and i was really i was really furious for a while but really for me it was like you know this is a culture this yeah. isn't just like a, a, a like a an incident that's set apart from things. This is like part of a bigger culture. And the fact that he was able to like get out of jail after three months points to a system that perpetuates this type of bullshit. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, what is it? Like what's in the water of our everyday lives that makes us think that this type of shit is okay. Yeah. Why is it okay for men to like what is behind the the boys will be boys thing yeah. and so i started asking around i was like yo like what's going on with manhood <laughs> what y'all doing guys <laughs> tell me about it because you're like i don't know what's happening i have no idea you know and it was like i mean i can draw my own i can like read like all these like academic articles around like gender and everything which are helpful but really what i found was the most helpful was just talk to men in my life having conversations yeah, you, I saw a show once years ago. It's called Goliath, and um, it essentially kind of talks about how, like in the U.S., there's no sort of male rite of passage that happens. Like we don't have a culture of like sort of rite of passage where there's other cultures that have like a, a thing where you this is what it means to become a man. Yeah, and because we don't sort of have that, it sort of it becomes this sort of hyper masculine thing that ha- ends up happening. This sort of hyper idea of what it means to be a man. Um, and then that's where you start just getting, um, you know, men having to try to prove themselves. Because yeah. in this play, uh, in the military, this guy ends up like, you know, with his other guys around him, he ends up participating in raping an Iraqi woman, you know? And it was sort of this idea of like, he, you know, not really knowing what does it mean to be a man? Is this it? Is this what it means? And so we don't teach. And so what I walked away with is we don't teach men what it means to be, to be men. Uh, men, like we don't have that thing of like, this is what it actually means. And a lot of it is like respect, compassion, you know, like yeah. where it should be. Yeah. And it's, and I think for me, it's interesting you say that because I think one of the things that I think about constantly and we certainly bring up on the show, uh, masculinity spelt with the K, look it up on iTunes, SoundCloud and everything. Perfect. Um, uh, good plug. Yeah. Um, but like, it's like the values of being a good man are the values of being a good human. Yes. And like somehow we found a way to genderize it Mm. because like we align strength leadership with masculinity Mm -hmm. and we align like nurturing and whatever else with femininity and like that can be like a yin and a yang and Mm. like a a balance of those things but I think that if we're unwilling to understand the fact that masculinity and femininity exist at various levels in each human being we're really we're not doing ourselves any favors Mm. and so I think for, for, for me like you know having masculinity you know and with my podcast host um Ramoy we just constantly have to check ourselves in that because it's like as much as like I talk about this shit all day it's not like I'm somehow like existing outside the paradigm of patriarchy you know what I mean it's like I I have to confront my own shit my own internalized sexism my own internalized racism even um, which is not cool and not fun but if I gotta do the work if I'm expecting other people to do that yeah so how's what's sort of the thing that has come up like what's been one of the most surprising things that you have learned in having these conversations about masculinity I think the most surprising thing is how little men themselves think about it. Because I think when I when I first kind of started started thinking about it, having conversations about manhood and masculinity with people that I knew, it was kind of like, oh, I never really thought about that. And I feel like when I talk to women, I mean, I know this is kind of like a binary conversation, but guys, please humor me. Like when I talk about women, like talk to women about like femininity and what it's like to be a woman, because we're kind of like on the dominated side of society. It's something that we kind of think about a lot because we have expectations and like people feel entitled to our bodies and like Mm. shit like that. So like we're cost have to think about it a lot more. Whereas guys, I think the thing that I found the most striking is that 
the things that guys deal with can kind of like, because of masculinity and the performance of masculinity more specifically, it can kind of swim under the surface because we live in a in male dominant society. Yeah. So a lot of things that people are dealing with, like nobody is like to your point about teaching to your mm-hmm. point about highlighting things. Like nobody is actually talking about that. Right. Cause we're like, Oh, boys will be boys. Yeah. Dudes are doing their thing. Like let men lead, blah, 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 blah. You know? And it's like, so much is swimming under that that we're not talking about, and it's actually quite detrimental. Sure, yeah, to everybody. Yeah, yeah. everybody. Well, everybody suffers. Well, especially because you're talking about like half the population. Yeah, you're talking about half the population that has most of the control over things. Yes, and I think you know. Oh, this is something interesting too. So it reminds me of, you know, a lot of times when I'm seeing like men acting a fool and doing something crazy, and like let's take like I've talked about this before, like when there's like Kevin Hart. Like he didn't. That's somebody I've had to kill off or whatever. Or can't cancel. cancel. You don't have to kill anybody. Uh oh. Okay. I have not uh, killed have Kevin to... Hart. That's not why he was not at the Oscars, guys. Uh, but like what I've witnessed is like, um, so in Brene Brown's book, I don't know if you've read Brene Brown, but she, in her book. I think you mentioned her to me before. Yeah. You should definitely, like, she unpacks like uh, masculinity and stuff. Also, Lewis Howe's, his book, mm-hmm. Ma- Mask of Masculinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly recommend. Uh, but she talks about like, uh, so for men, shame avoidance is one of the like biggest things for us of how we avoid shame. The book yep. is essentially about shame and vulnerability yep. and how we avoid... Um, if we don't get vulnerable with each other, we can't really connect. And shame avoidance is one of the ways that we avoid getting vulnerable. And I forget what it is for like uh, for women, but for men, typically the their biggest uh, shield and avoidance is shame. And so a lot of times when you see someone like Kevin Hart wouldn't apologize for his past tweets. Yeah. What I saw was, oh, he's feeling a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. He's feeling a lot of shame about it and he can't confront that like same thing with like the guy in the white house like he probably has so much because to be able to admit wrong means that you have to also possibly experience some of the shame that comes with it yeah and so that's just something that i've been noticing like i've been able to sort of see i think if we as human beings can start sort of looking between the cracks of things like oh what is that really like with jesse smollett it's like oh there's something else that's that's there yeah you know and i guess for myself because we're saying earlier how divided everything is and if we don't put our pitchforks down we're gonna destroy each other and That's, so to me it's yeah. like looking at Jesse and not being like fuck you Campbell you did that I'm like oh, you need a hug what's wrong exactly I mean I think like to your point it's like the compassion, compassion is really missing we're missing that and that nurturing thing well yeah. Com- yeah, well, I think it's like the yin and the yang that you're talking yeah. about is that like I think things have been so out of whack and so patriarchal and I think And it's not like I think we're just now waking up and seeing that because that's how things were. But now we're waking up and seeing that we're like and I think that's why we're at this sort of impasse where it seems like things are so volatile Mm -hmm. because we need to we're we're moving towards being more balanced or we actually need a recorrection and being more on the nurturing side and being more with our we both all have masculine and feminine with inside of us. And I think the world is needing more of a love and compassion and nurturing side because we've gone so far on the other side yes and i think it's also important to understand that like accountability is a form of love Mm. and Mm -hmm. i think that a lot of times people don't understand that and i mean you know i'm saying this as a human being who also struggles with this like excuse me accountability and compassion have to exist in the same space for us to actually cohabit Mm. and i think that you know, when we talk about like gender, women and women and equity and all those things, we're not really connected to like, OK, no, you can't say that like you're doing everything that you can to like be there for somebody if you're not holding them accountable for their actions. Yeah. Like how the fuck did Trump get there? Like everything that his life has been has really been like if he had been held accountable at some point at some point we would not be dealing with this bullshit right now but i think that's what he is as a representation of you know i live by the not 
uh, like why so like this I think this is happening because I think he's literally just an amalgamation of like what the society has created and it's us looking at it and I think think like through him if I think he had not I don't think hashtag me too would have happened if he wasn't in the White House I think it was in a response to him I don't think if Hillary Clinton was in the White House he would have had hashtag me too I think yeah the revival of yeah I think people were then like I think women were just so like fuck this no more of this like he was such a huge representation of everything that is misogynistically wrong and patriarchally wrong with our society that it's it's forced us to look at it in a very uncomfortable way yeah and i think one of the things that 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 i'm 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 struggling with in a lot of ways is like we have I, I hate to say this but this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion but we have the president that we deserve right that's we do true. this is what happens this is what happens yeah. when you're you know we like Wait. reading something like you know like the the voting statistics for example mm-hmm. statistics it's like i read something like only 9% of the American people actually decide on the candidates that we choose from to put in the white house yeah so it's like knowing that People are like, oh, well, fuck. Are you voting? Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of voter suppression out there. Sure. Granted, yeah. that's not 91%. Yeah. Like, what's happening with the other thing? But then you also do, I think that you've had people who have been so disenfranchised by the political yeah. system for so long, or you have had, like, neighborhoods that have been demolished or massacred or lynchings and black people being murdered or the police not being able to really rep for them. Like, so you have people who have such a disenfranchisement of it. Um but and I think that we're in a rectification I mean, of that. Yeah, I think that's where yeah. we are. And I don't mean to sound like lack like lacking compassion for folks who have been disenfranchised. Like, but you, it, just, it brings up a great point I'm of like, like, yeah, like yeah. had more people been voting, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. But there's a history of like why that's happening. Yeah, but I think right. what's great is that that's now being addressed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Ah, well, it's been so great having you here. Well, we're actually, don't go away. We're going to be right back for our last little closeout segment. Okay. It's the end of the show. It's the end of the show. You made it. Your first Minority Corner. You survived. Woo. Here. I know there's, we'll just have to have you back because I know there's like so much you wanted to talk about. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so much. I. How can they stay in touch with you? Well, you can find, uh, well, I, Samantha, am on Twitter at Samantha L underscore N. Uh, Masculinity Podcast is on Twitter at Masculinity Pod. That is M-A-S-K-U-L-I-N-I-T-Y. I never get that far into the word. P-O-D, Masculinity Pod. Um, We're on Facebook at Masculinity Podcast and on Instagram at Masculinity Pod. Please do listen to the show and say what you got to say. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, so so great being here. One thing I'm sad that we didn't get to talk about, there's like two things. One, quick, I just got back from Miami and you're going to Miami. Yeah. It's like I passed the baton on to you. Thank you. Miami is crazy. It's amazing. It's like butts everywhere and it's just a hot, sexy, sexy town. I'm very excited. I hope you have a sexy of a time as I did. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, it'll happen. It's just like you get there immediately. You're just like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. everything's hot. It's Everything's like a 90s music video. That's all I want. That's what you're going to get. That's really all I want from everything. Other thing we didn't get to talk about is I saw Green Book and I got to oh. tell you, I, you don't know why it won all those damn Oscars. I'm like, <gasps> who is this movie for? What? Okay. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Like, but I was with, with my ex, he's British and he's white and he really enjoyed it. And I just didn't have the heart to yuck his yum because there's certain things about the movie that just like, I'm just like, this is written by a white person. Like there's just some certain things I'm like, this is written by a white person and a white person dealing with the race in the 60s and like feel good sort of movie which I want to feel good but you can't feel good because you're get a black person in the writer's room and uh, help you write them so it's like that movie I don't think Green Book is necessarily for I don't think it's for black people I think it's for white people to learn about race and it's literally just like Driving Miss Daisy Part 2 or like the sequel and it was the same year that Spike Lee was uh, that he had done Do the Right Thing which was a great movie didn't win anything and that same year Do the Right Thing came out what won? Driving Miss Daisy. Mm. And here you go. Driving Miss Daisy 2 wins this year. And, Damn. you know, but at least Spike got his first Oscar. Do you think Mahershala deserved it? 
No. Really? Damn. No. Okay, yeah. His before. Uh, I don't know. I've had mixed feelings. All there's also to a weird thing. Like his character is uh, queer in some capacity, mm. and they kind of like it happens, but they kind of gloss over it. I feel like I was in the nineties oh, all over again, where there's a moment where you discover that like, oh, he's queer, and he's you know was in this you know YMCA club, and they've arrested him because he was doing gay ass things there. I and then they kind of gloss over it. It's like we look at it, and then we just. But kinda, it's two thousand. You can't gloss over and that. And I would have liked to have seen, like, the movie didn't seem balanced. It's really from, the movie really feels like it's from uh, Viggo Mortensen's character's point of view. And, yeah. like, we follow so much of him that, like, when the queer moment happens, it's just, like, blink and you miss it. And then we don't acknowledge it anymore at all. I would like to have seen the journey of his character trying to, like, oh, I'm going into the YMCA. And, ooh, I see someone. It's oh, called Green Book. And, and. It's called Green Book, but you kind of forget, like, a movie called Green Book should really be about black people That's what I'm saying. traveling through the South. That's what I'm saying. Instead, it's a white guy who's like, oh, what's this? And you kind of even forget that there's even a Green Book. Like, it, it, it sucks because, like, there should be a movie called Green Book that, like, is about black people traveling through and actually having to use the Green Book. And let's see what happens. No wonder the family didn't want that shit, man. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, on the one end, it's like, I'm glad, you know, uh, but you know what? I, again, I'm not going to Hattie McDaniel Mahershala because, you know. Oh, no, I love him. Yeah. I'm, and I, I I'm think, not away from him. but I just think like I, there's a certain monologue that he gives that would have been the Oscar moment. There's always like one monologue. You're like, that's why the person would win. He doesn't really sell it in his dramatic monologue oh, that he has shit. where he's out in the rain and it's, it's supposed to be. He does a great job transforming this other person and he's also doing just fine. He's on True Detective. Like he's. Yeah. He's not doing He's too bad. So sweet too, and oh so God. incredibly talented. Yeah. So do your thing, but yeah. he didn't need to win an Oscar for this movie. And I'm glad they didn't give him an Oscar for this movie. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. You, you, I'm sorry. You said you're glad that he did that. They did, did. not give because they love giving awards to black people for like these. No, he did of, win. Oh, he won. Yeah, Mahershala uh, Ali won for Green Book. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I guess I missed out on that. Oh, of course he won. That's how I was like, oh, I wonder where. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Yo, did you? I'm not surprised. Are you kidding me? No. I'm no. Yo, did you see? Of course he won. They love seeing these. Like they love seeing us in these roles and these parts. I mean, I'm fine because he won for Moonlight, and that was like, yeah. But literally, the monologue that he does it it fell flat to me. And but you know, he does do a transformative performance, so. He, he does it, yeah. Damn it. Okay. Oh my God. This well, is meme. There you of, go, Oscar. Um, still doing that. I know. Still doing it. It's a tale as old as time. Yeah. This is meme of um, Chadwick Boseman, like when Green Book wins the 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 best oh, film best or whatever, film picture, where yeah. Chadwick Boseman just turns around and gives a side of Michael B. Jordan, <laughs> and his head just goes. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's so good. Uh, but I am so glad that they uh, won two awards, Black Panther. Yeah. And I met both uh, Ruth Carter and I forget the name of, of the, the production Hannah Beachler. Oh. I met them both when I was doing the red carpet for Black Panther. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I want to know how that was. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but oh my God, please tell amazing. me. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh. We can talk offline about oh, it. Oh, today's Lupita's birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And Lupita and Winston Duke are both in that movie. Us. Us. And fun fact that uh, they went to the same university mm-hmm. and she was a little bit, she was uh, ahead of him, yeah. but they both went to the Avengers together and they were like, wouldn't it be great if we, you and I should be in a movie like this together. Oh and then they God. were in Black Panther together. So uh, speak it into existence, y'all. I know. Manifest your lives. Manifest your lives. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, just like I feel like Hattie manifested her life. You can do it. You you can do it too, y'all. So uh, see how I made that full circle all the way back? Yeah. That was good. <laughs> okay, well, we're gonna get out of here. But first, I just want to thank all of our wonderful listeners for listening. We have so many options to out there to listen to. I want to thank you, Samantha, for being here. Thank you. Uh, also, thank you to our editor, Woody. You're so fabulous. Love all the work that you do for the show. And thank you to Brad up for the music. And a big thank you to Aneke. We miss you. We love you. And that little baby is absolutely adorable. And uh, thank you all for. Oh wait, before we go, you want to leave the listeners with a little last. Uh, yeah. Remember that compassion and accountability can exist in the same space. Ooh, I like that. Words live by. Well, thank you all for listening to my Minority Corner, because together, and we say this together, we're the majority. We're, we're the, the majority. majority. Look at you. Just jumping right in. Love it. 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.